We've been having some fun with the Word of God the past couple of weeks, and the fun is going to continue tonight. The series is not lacking, and I hope that you're enjoying it. I pray that God is teaching you some things through it, things that will help you in becoming more complete in your faith walk. That being said, He never stops teaching us. And I'm thankful that we can spend the duration of our lives diving into God's Word and never learn all that there is to be learned, which should be all the more motivation for us to spend as much time as we possibly can there, because if there are always things to be learned, then there is always opportunity before us every time we open up God's Word. He always has something new to teach us, and he's aligned another assignment up for us tonight out of John chapter 13. We're going to start reading in verse 33 as Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I want to speak out of the subject, where's the love? So tell somebody beside you, don't be lacking love. Don't be lacking love. Love is a terrible thing for us to lack in our lives. In 2003, way back like in the Stone Ages, How many of you weren't, was there anybody in here that was not born in 2003? Oh my goodness. Shouldn't have done that to myself. In 2003, the Black Eyed Peas released a song in response to the events of 9-11, which we just remembered a couple of days back. And that song was aimed at speaking out against terrorist acts But they also use it as a platform to speak out against hate in general and the growing animosity that humanity was exhibiting towards one another during that time. That song was titled, Where is the Love? And in that particular time frame of life, love seemed to be evaporating from the culture altogether. Now here we stand 20 years removed from that. And I would think we would agree that it hasn't gotten any better. Love has continued to erode and evaporate from the culture and the world around us. Our world is full of hatred. Our world is full of wrath. It is full of bitterness. It is full of vengeance and violence and animosity. And so we could ask the same question sitting here today. Where's the love? Because it's something that's sorely lacking in our world. But... Love cannot be lacking in the life of a true believer. I'll say it one more time. Love cannot be lacking in the life of a true believer in Jesus. It is a distinguishing mark of a truly transformed life. True believers in Jesus love. And though our world may sorely lack it, God's church should be full of it. We look at the world and we ask, where's the love? My conviction is, does the world look at the church and ask the same? Jesus put a premium on love, and in particular, how we should love people. And if we call ourselves his followers, 
And he lets us know that love is a characteristic that we should not, as a matter of fact, we cannot lack in. A new commandment I give to you that you should love one another. Jesus spoke to loving others as a command, not a suggestion. He didn't tag an option to it. It wasn't that you should love others when it's convenient or when it feels right or when it's easy or when they're loving you back. It's just straight up, you should love others at all times, at all places, amongst all people. And so his command implies that there is an expected obedience on our behalf in response. And so John here, who would actually describe himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. And a lot of people have taken a dig at John over the years for that because in his gospel account, he actually says those very things, that, that he was the disciple who Jesus loved. And I, man, John must have been like that guy. Like All the disciples must have like hated John for saying that and for, for putting that upon himself. Sounds like a prideful, arrogant thing for John to be like, yeah. Oh, yeah, Jesus had like 11 other guys, but he loved me way more than any of them. But John, he didn't write it in that sense. He didn't say that Jesus loved me more so than he did any of these other guys. It was just a descriptive of what he knew to be true about his Savior's affection for him, just like it was for everyone else. He said, Jesus loved me. I'm the disciple that he loved. And the same was true for the rest. John just wore it as a badge of honor. What a glorious thing it is to know that you are loved by the Savior, right? As a son or a daughter, you are loved by Christ. Characterize yourself as such. I'm the son, I'm the daughter that Jesus loves. Because you are, if you're one of his children. And so John describes himself as a disciple who Jesus loved. And, and I don't know, John had a, had a particular affection for affection, it seemed like, because he would write more about the love of Christ than any other biblical author that we have. And so we're going to use him to coach us up a little bit on the importance of being loving people. And he's going to point out some specific truths for us when it comes to love as it pertains to the life of those of us who have by faith trusted in Christ as our Lord and Savior. And the first thing he points out about love is that Jesus sets the standard. So go back and look in John 13 and verse 34 real quick. John points out through Jesus' words that, that Jesus is speaking to the disciples, says, a new commandment I give to you that you should love one another. Jesus is giving the disciples a little teaser on what eventually is going to happen before this. He says, guys, I'm just letting you know I'm only going to be here with you for a little while longer. It's not going to be much longer. They're going to come with swords and torches, and they're going to scream, and they're going to holler, and they're going to make a big deal out of who I am. They're going to drag me off to the courts. They're going to wrongly testify against me. They're going to make all kinds of false accusations, and it's not going to die down. They're eventually going to get so worked up over it that they're going to crucify me, and after that, I will take up my life again through the resurrection. And then in a short time after that, I'm going to ascend back to my Father in heaven. I'm only going to be here with you a little bit longer. And after I leave you guys, after my ascension takes place, here's my command. Make sure that you love one another. Jesus sets the standard after this by saying these words. As I have loved you. That's the standard. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself is the standard of love. 1 John 4, 8 says that anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. So Jesus himself is the embodiment of the standard of love. 
But then he goes on to tell his disciples to love like he loves. In other words, I want you guys to love each other just like I have loved you. And the weight of what Jesus has just called his disciples to do, and by extension us, is huge. Who can love like Jesus loves? Who could possibly carry out that command? Who could possibly live up to the standard that Jesus has just laid out for his disciples and for all those who would come underneath the banner of his name to love like he loves? How can that even be possible to live up to such a standard? Nobody can love like Christ does. Who could, why, why would Jesus even say that? His word tells us that it's the very essence of who he is. You know how much depth to Jesus' love there is? All throughout Scripture, we see all kinds of different descriptives of the love that God has. It's described as being steadfast. In other words, it's unchanging. His love never, it never ebbs and flows. Now, I feel like we can't relate to that very well because the degree and the depth of our love oftentimes just seems to go up and down depending on where we're at within that standing of that person. But God's love is steadfast. It's, it's never changing. It's always constant. It's described as being everlasting. In other words, it never ends. It's constantly outpouring itself, and it never runs out. His love is described as being provisional. It's a love that takes care of those who are his own. His love is described as being protective. Jesus is that, is that mighty warrior, like Natalie was talking about during the second song that we sing that's going to return one day. And he's not going to be the, the humble, lowly servant. He's going to be the king riding on the horse with his robe dipped in blood and a sword strapped to his side, ready to come and claim his kingdom and cast our adversary into the eternal lake of fire for eternity. He is the, he is, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Listen, I want you to understand something tonight. Elsewhere in Scripture, it talks about how how our, our devil is a great adversary, and he roars around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But listen to me. He's only like a lion. Jesus is the only lion. And he will protect those who live underneath the lordship of his name. His love is described as being a pursuing love. It's a love that comes after us. It's a love that willingly descended from heaven to come down to this earth to make itself manifest. His love is described as being an initiating love. It takes the first step. Jesus doesn't sit back and wait on us. He comes towards you. The only reason any one of us have come to a saving faith relationship with Christ is because he initiated the action. He said, I want you to know me. None of us ever looked up to heaven and said, I want to know God. None of us left to our sin would have ever willingly repented and saw the need that we had for salvation, Jesus is the one who drew us into that by his initiating love, which leads us to the next descriptive of it. It's a redeeming love. It makes our wrong, messed up, broken, fouled up lives right again. Who can love like that? Who can exemplify this kind of love? Let me give you a hint. Nobody. It's impossible. So does Jesus give us a command that's impossible to follow? No, he doesn't. 
Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to his disciples, those who are believers, who he says, once I go to heaven, I'm going to send you a helper called my Holy Spirit. He will enable you to do all that I have commanded you to do. Those of us that have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us, in and of ourselves, it is impossible for us to love like Christ. But with the power of his indwelling Holy Spirit, all things become possible then. But in the context of what Jesus is saying to his disciples, there's really two characteristics in particular that I believe he had in mind. One is that he exhibited to people so often the way in which he loved that I think he was really aiming at for our lives in the way in which we should show love to other people as well. And the first condition is this. The first characteristic is this, is that his love was an unconditional one. So I believe that Jesus expects and commands us to love people in an unconditional way. The standard that he sets is for us to follow his lead in showing unconditional love. The disciples would have been very familiar with this kind of love from Jesus. When he called them, each and every one of them individually, as he walked up and he found them in whatever area or sphere of influence of life that they were in, he called them to come and follow me. When he called them, these guys had no merit. They had no special giftedness. There was no unique ability about them. There was nothing, in other words, that Jesus walked up and thought, oh my gosh, I got to have them on my team because they have something to offer. There was nothing there. Just like, just like none of us have anything when we come to Christ to offer of ourselves. As a matter of fact, his word tells us that if we come with our own righteousness towards him, they're seen as filthy rags. We have nothing to offer unto him. The disciples had nothing special to offer unto Christ. It was just his unconditional love that he extended towards them that called them into his grace and into his mercy and into his calling. They saw from the beginning that Jesus' love didn't have requirements. It didn't have to be earned. In the years that they had of watching him interact with other people while he was on the earth, they continued to see that be true. Jesus loves unconditionally, and he expects us to do the same. He expects us to show a love to the people around us that doesn't require payment or favor, one that is impartial and one that is initiating. So let me ask you, what kind of parameters are you putting around the people that earn your love? Is your love an unconditional one? Or does it only get extended when somebody earns it from you? Or when somebody requires it of you? An unconditional love, man, it just loves. Even when that person has nothing to offer, nothing to gain, no merit to bring, it just loves. Jesus expects us to love with an unconditional love. But the other characteristic that he exemplified so often while he was on the earth was a sacrificial love. Jesus showed to his disciples a sacrificial love. One that first and foremost sacrificed in leaving heaven to come here and put on humanity. Can you imagine what it would be like for, for heaven to be your dwelling place? To leave there and come here. Willingly. Like you had the choice. If any of you one day find yourself in heaven and for some weird reason had like the choice to come back or not, I would dare say none of us would say, yeah, yeah, I think I'll go back down there. Sounds good. I would much rather live in that nasty sin cesspool with my flesh and with all the other garbage that's constantly floating around trying to infiltrate my life and my mind. Sure, sounds, sounds like a plan. 
Jesus willingly left all of holiness and glory to come down here and become like one of us. That's sacrificial love. That's him giving up something that I dare say none of us would ever have given up if it were up to us. Jesus sacrificed just by coming here. It was a love that they would witness him sacrifice not just heaven, but also his time, his energy, his sleep, his solitude for other people when they were in. You know how many times Jesus tried to get away from the crowds just to take a moment? Just to see, you ever just need a moment? You ever just need to, to get away? You just everybody, everybody get away for a little bit. Leave me alone. Stop calling me. Stop texting me. Stop asking me questions. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to sit on this couch, and I don't want anybody to come around me. I need a moment. So often, Jesus would try to take a moment for himself. So you know what people would do? They'd see him go over there, and they'd follow him over. Jesus, I'm sick. Or Jesus, my, my husband. Jesus, my wife. Jesus, my kids. Or here comes the disciples. Jesus, can you tell us which one of us is going to be the greatest in your kingdom? Like, for some reason, John, this guy who thinks that, that you love him more than everybody else, thinks it's going to be him. But can you kind of like settle the score for us? Like, all the time, Jesus would sacrifice his time. He would sacrifice his energy. He would sacrifice his sleep. I know some of y'all in here tonight, when it comes to your sleep, ain't nobody messing with that. You ain't giving up sleep for nobody. Yet Jesus, time and time again, would sacrifice those kind of things so he could minister to people in their times of need. And ultimately, his love was one that was so sacrificial, it would lead to his death. He would literally lay down his life in love for the people of the world. John 15, 13 says this, greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friends. That was Jesus saying that to his disciples, saying this is what's going to happen, boys. I'm about to show you one of the greatest acts of love that you can see when I lay down my life on your behalf and not just yours, for all the people of this world. Jesus loves sacrificially and once again expects the same from us. We should be willing to lay down our wants. We should be willing to give up our time. We should be willing to move our resources out of love. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time you sacrificed anything for an opportunity to love? It's a tough question, I know. Trust me, I have to deal with this stuff personally before I ever bring it before you guys. When was the last time you sacrificed anything for an opportunity to extend love to somebody in a time of need? Jesus has given us a standard to love as he loves, to show this world and to show brothers and sisters in Christ an unconditional and sacrificial love. What would happen if we truly did? What would happen if, if the body of Christ started truly loving like its Savior did? It would be radical. It would be transformative. It would turn our culture upside down. Are we willing to step in to the command that Christ has called us to, to love as he has loved us? The second thing that John's going to show us about love in particular is that it's, it's not just a display, but a demonstration. And I love this one. I love this one, so tune into it. Go back to the text for a second. Chapter 13, verse 35. Jesus continues saying, he says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So Jesus goes on to say, by this, this being love, by this, by love, 
all people will know you are my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. This is the, this is the love is a verb part. This is the love as an action part. Jesus tells us that our love is a main identifier to the world around us that we belong to him. Listen, not our preaching, not our singing, not our church attendance, not the giving of our money, not the going on mission trips, not the service opportunities in the community, none of those things. He says, these are not the main identifier that you are my disciple. He says, the main thing that people of this world will look to you and know that you belong to me is by your love. And his inference is that they'll be able to see it. In other words, this love, it's, it's tangible. It can be observed. Jesus frames it up almost in the sense as if it, it can be physically felt, invisibly, physically seen. He says this is the kind of love that's going to identify you to the world around that you belong to me. Now, from this, this is where, this is where I, I think this can be a very, very teachable moment for us. From this, a lot of times we want to say that our love should be set on display, that it should be out in the open. And, and that's true for the most part. We, I would agree 100% that as followers of Jesus, yes, our love should be set on display. It should be out and open. It should be readily seen by the people around us. That's, that's not untrue, but I think that's kind of a... a a one out of a two-step tier of our understanding of what Jesus is getting to here. So I want to show you how Jesus is saying that it's, it's really even more than that. So let me show you. Displays are great. People use displays all the time, especially to, to market a product. So you can go into any kind of store, any kind of retail store, and you can see things on display. You can see cookware on display. You can see appliances on display. So if you're in the market for a microwave or a washer or a dryer or whatever, you can go into these places and you can look there and you can see the specifications, the certifications or whatever, what its capability is, all these things, how it can save you this much energy or whatever. You can save this much on your electric bill because of it. People display appliances so you can get a look at them. People display furniture. You can go to a furniture store. Before you buy the couch, you can sit down on it. You can kind of wall around in it. Is this is the one. Where's, where's like the recline button at? Because that's like a key feature. If I can't get my feet out in front of me, I'm not interested in it. You can check out the leather ones if you want to, if you're high rolling like that. You can go got to the beanbag section for college students because that's all we can afford at the moment. And it's really all that can fit in my dorm anyway for the most part. I will say, though, like we've done moving days year after year after year. Y'all shock me the amount of stuff you can put in your dorm. Like, we'll be moving people in. I'm just like, where is it? Y'all know, like, these things are, like, as big as, like, a closet, like a broom closet, right? And people are bringing, like, 70-inch TVs and stuff. I'm like, your bed's not even that big. How are you going to get that in there? People display furniture. People display athletic equipment. You can walk into the sporting goods store. You can look at the bats. You can look at the helmets. You can look at the gloves, cleats, whatever it is that you want, whatever desire that you have, whatever need that it needs to me, you can look at all those things as they're on display. People, people display tools. You go to the hardware store. Maybe you need a specific screwdriver or a hammer or whatever, a chainsaw. You can look at the displays, and you, you, can, you can see what's going on. And most of the time, the, those things are going to include a description. And they're going to tell you what it is and what it has the potential to do. And that's all good. And it has some benefit. 
But if you really want to sell me on it, show me a demonstration. Let me see what I've been told or let me see what I've researched in action. Let me see the product description hold true in a product demonstration. So listen to me when I say this. Our love can't just be a display that we set out and give a description of telling people what it is and what it has the potential to do and be. It has to be demonstrated. The church is great about taking the love of Jesus and telling people what it can do or what it has the potential to be in their lives. What we don't always do such a great job of is actually physically demonstrating that love for people to see. That's awesome. We can tell people all we want about it. We can, dis- we can set it out. We can give them a great description of it. But unless they see it, Jesus says, they got to see it. It's got to be demonstrated because how else are they going to know? It's got to be put into action. It's got to be practiced. It's got to be daily applied in real life situations. 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and truth. John says, that, that's great. I'm going to tell people that Jesus loves them or that we love them. That's, that's awesome. But I tell you what, guys, I tell you what, church, Let's not just do that in talk and word. Let's do that in deeds. Let's actually do that. Let's instead of becoming aware of somebody's need in their life and telling them that we love them and we'll pray for them, let's actually show up at their house and meet it. Let's actually move our resources in a way that can cover it. Let's actually show up and be exactly what they need the body of Christ to be in those moments. And then there's another part to this. It has to be demonstrated in a way that's distinct. It has to stand out because the truth of the matter is the world can love. And the world does love. But there's something about our love that Jesus says is attention grabbing. So I kind of want to show you what our love demonstrated looks like in ways that grabs people's attention. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. And I read the whole thing for context. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge. If I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hope all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, let me give y'all a piece of biblical teaching right here. This was not at a wedding. How many of y'all been to a wedding and you've heard this passage read? That's great. It's fine. It can be used there. But when Paul wrote this, he didn't write it at a wedding. He was not performing a wedding ceremony. He was talking to the church. He's saying this is the way the church is to love people. It's not some lovey-dovey, we're standing at the arbor, and this is the only time we talk about this kind of love. He said, this is the love the church is supposed to exhibit. This is the kind of love that grabs the attention of the world. So let me show you. Let me show you some key characteristics. A love demonstrated that grabs the attention of the world, believes all things, and hopes all things. 
At the end of this passage, that's exactly what, what Paul says. He says, love believes all things and love hopes all things. So in love, what this means is that we believe in the best and hope for the best for one another. That's the kind of love the church should be exhibiting for its own people. So rewind this and all the descriptives that, God, or that Paul gave leading up to that begin to make sense in a new way. So he says, a love that believes all things and hopes all things for the people of God, it doesn't envy other people. It doesn't envy other people within the church. It doesn't envy a brother or sister in Christ when God's favor comes upon them. It doesn't act in rudeness. So we don't act in rudeness to one another. It doesn't enforce its own will. It doesn't insist that it has to have its own way. It doesn't walk into the church building and say, this is the strategy, this is the method, this is the things that I think that we should be doing, and everybody else can kiss it. It doesn't enforce its own will. And then let me, let me hit you with this one. This is a big one. It does not celebrate failure. And you know how many times I, I see like an almost joy come over somebody in the church when a brother or sister fails? That's gross. What's wrong with us that we would do that? Yet I see it so often. We get a little bit of a, a tale for somebody we don't agree with some of the things that they're doing. And then we see a failure come up in their life, and it almost makes us happy. We're almost like, yeah, I saw that coming. Yeah, they earned that one. That's not love. That's not a love that believes all things and hopes all things for one another. We believe and we hope. We don't berate and harass. Love believes all things and hopes all things. So that's sandwiched in between what Paul would say on the front and back end of that, which is that love bears all things and endures all things. So a love that grabs the attention of the world, it bears all things and it endures all things. Hardships, adversities, betrayals, disappointments. We battle through those things and we continue in love for each other. You know, love can be a messy thing, right? It's not easy to step out and, and, and give love, to give affection towards somebody. Why? Because there's the real risk that your heart can be broken in the midst of that. Love can be a, a dangerous thing. Love can be a risky thing. 1 John 4.20, though, says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. So we have to put ourselves out there. We're, listen, we're all flawed. Every single one of us. We all make terrible choices. We all make bad mistakes. That's the part of being a family, though. The family of God, we, we roll our sleeves up and we pursue Christ together. And even though one of us may trip or fall along the way, we don't celebrate in the failure of that brother and sister. We turn around in our pursuit, grab them and say, nope, we're not stopping right here. Christ is victorious. Let's keep moving. Let's keep walking. Let's keep pushing. It, it, it bears all things. It endures all things. It doesn't give up. It doesn't quit. You know what the love of the world will do? It will leave you high and dry the moment that you fall behind. That's why this love, the love that we exemplify through Christ, it sticks out because we don't, we don't abandon one another. We don't quit. We don't leave people in their failure. We don't leave them in their mistakes. We don't leave them in their struggles. We roll our sleeves up and, and we get into those places with them for the sake of helping push them out of them towards Christ once again. The last little thing is that, that love believes all things and hopes all things, it bears all things, endures all things, and it gives all things, and it expects nothing. Luke 6, 27, verse 35 says, I say to you who here love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. From one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, 
do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Listen, for even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. This is a love that sticks out to the world because it does not make sense. It is completely countercultural. People don't love enemies. They hate them. People don't lend interest-free. They expect what you gave, and they expect a little more coming back. Not the people of God, though. We do. We love those who hate. We return affection for those who persecute. Loving in this way is counterculture that sticks out. Well, listen, we should be the greatest demonstration of love the people of this world ever see especially when we're gathered together within the context of this place. I want it to be said of us as outsiders come in, hey, there's a lot going on in that place, and there's plenty about it I don't fully understand, but I do know one thing, I saw love there. Those people love, and it's noticeable. The last thing that John shows us is that we should make love a home instead of a hangout. We're going to skip over to 1 John for this. I'm going to read a couple of different verses, and I'm going to piece them together. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 12 says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Then down to verse verse 16 says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. John makes a key statement in verse 16 about how we should abide in love. You know what it means to abide? It means to make your home in. It's it's a dwelling place. It's it's somewhere that you dwell. But John didn't come up with this principle on his own. He actually got it from Jesus. Because in John 15, verse 9, we read that as Jesus continues speaking to his disciples, he says, The Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. By true definition, a home is a place of permanent dwelling. A hangout is a place of frequent visiting. Jesus calls us to literally live in love, to make our home in it, to dwell permanently there, not just visit it every now and then, not just hang out in that place when it's easy or when it's comfortable or when it's convenient. Being and showing love is not a principle that we should only partake in every once in a while. That's how we get caught lacking in it. So we've got to be careful to not treat love like a hangout. It didn't leave when we've had enough. I know love isn't easy. And you know, never once in all that we've looked at tonight did Jesus say it would be. It's not easy, but it is essential. One thing I love about a home, I was very adamant when me and Ashley first got married that we were going to find a home to buy. 
and not live in an apartment or a rental or anything like that. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I was just adamant about the fact that I wanted us to find a home because it's an investment. You build equity in a home. You're not just taking your money and like rent is so crazy nowadays. I know you guys know that. Like it's so much better than just like getting a two bedroom apartment, taking $800 and just flinging it out the window every month. You're investing in something. It's gonna have a return on its value at some point. One thing that I, that I love about a home though is that the more time you spend there, the more comfortable it becomes. You know, when you first move into somewhere new, it's kind of unfamiliar. You don't know kind of the ins and outs of it. You don't, you don't know where every closet is that a boogeyman might be hiding in. You, you're not, you walk in every night and everything's kind of still unfamiliar to you. You're still getting used to where everything is. But when you've been in a home and you've been there for a long enough amount of time, you get real comfortable there. You know where everything's at. That, that weird part in the floor that creaks randomly at like 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, that's like a, an every night thing. It's not just somebody's about to kill me. Like you're used to those kind of things. That, that pop that happens like up in the attic somewhere when the house cools down, it doesn't scare you quite as much anymore because you're used to it. You know it's there. You expect it. You've gotten comfortable in that place. You, you know the surroundings. You know where everything is. You know all the subtle nuances of how things work on the inside of your home. Listen, the same is true for love when we abide there. When we make our home in love, even though it is difficult, even though it is hard, even though it can be awkward at times, even though we may not know exactly how to do it well at first when we start wading ourselves out into it, the longer we stay there, the more we surround ourselves by it, the more we allow our lives to be immersed into it, the more comfortable we get at doing it. It'll be a lot easier to come into this place week in and week out and go talk to somebody you ain't never talked to before. Why? Because love is just welling up inside of you. It'll be a lot easier when you go on campus to actually extend an invitation to that lab partner that you sit by day in and day out. Why? Because love is welling up inside of you, but you got to live there if you're going to get comfortable with it. Jesus says, abide in my love. Sandwiched in the middle of that uh, Black Eyed Peas song, I mentioned earlier, where is the love? You'll find these lyrics. The truth is kept secret. It's swept under the rug. If you never know truth, you never know love. Where's the love, y'all? I don't know. Where's the truth, y'all? I don't know. And you know what I hear in that? I hear a worldly voice crying out, to a godly people. Where's the truth? We know. We know. And since we know truth, you know what? You know what you can know along with us? You can know love. Where's the love, y'all? I got, I know where. It's in Jesus. It's in his house. You want to come next week? Where's the truth, y'all? I know. I know. Here it is. Here's truth. Here's truth in the midst of your doubt, your, your uncertainty, your confusion, your unrest, your anxiety, your stress, your worry. Where's the truth? It's right here. It's found in Jesus. And I know a place where we talk about it week in and week out. You want to come next week? 
keep men and women of God? Where's our love at? Let's not be lacking in it.